Hey, my name's Alex, and welcome to Alex Listens. This is the place where I talk about things like philosophy and politics and identity and psychology and race and mental health and that kind of stuff. Today, I'm going to be talking about something that bothers me and something that bothers many others in the discipline of philosophy and also something that just seems to bother lots of people when they're talking with other people. And this is the topic of moral relativism. And what is moral relativism, I hear you ask? Well, I suppose it is the idea that what is good or what is bad is subjective and always and only subjective and is always determined by the person and their opinions. And that is as far as it goes. So there is no such thing as a priori universal knowledge that we can withdraw from an analysis of the world or, you know, a kind of armchair reflection on things. And that's what I'm going to talk about today. But before I do, if you're enjoying Alex Listens or anything else that I make, you can support the podcast or the project or the videos or whatever in a number of different ways. The easiest way is to visit www.alex.co slash contribute. And there you'll find links to Patreon and PayPal and whatever. And yeah, I suppose I don't have ads on this podcast. I don't have ads on YouTube. I don't promote anything. And I do that because I hope that people find this meaningful. And I hope they find this meaningful enough that they will support it. So I don't know. You can pledge as little as a dollar a month or something through Patreon. And that'll be greatly helpful because... There are lots of fees for running a podcast. Equipment's expensive, blah, blah, blah. Time is apparently expensive as well. So, yeah. Um, Otherwise, you can follow me on social media. That's a cheaper and essentially free way, apart from your time. (laughs) Um, Yeah, you can follow me on social media, on Instagram, at AlexListens, or on Facebook, at AlexListensProject, or on YouTube, at AlexListens. And that's all. Okay, so I said I was going to talk about moral relativism. And I suppose the reason why I wanted to talk about this is because often a lot of disagreements between people and a lot of reasons why one group doesn't like another and why one person doesn't like another person is because they don't agree with the things that the other person believes in. And one way of getting around this or one way of trying to broach the topic of what's right and what's wrong is to compare what you believe with what another person believes and point to, you know, paradigmatic, clear instantiations of whatever it is that you believe in, in the world. So you can say, look, suffering is bad because, you know, have you ever broken a bone? Have you ever been sick? Did you like the experience? And, you know, unless you're some kind of masochist, which is totally okay, um, presumably you haven't liked or enjoyed the experience and presumably that's not a good thing and presumably that is something that we can say isn't good for anyone unless you know you're an exception to the rule and you really lack pain which is okay as i said (laughs) um but that like i guess that is that is the issue here right that some people will believe that something is bad and other people will believe that that thing is good um And other people will believe, other people won't think that it's important enough or other 
people will think that it's impossible to come up with a universal universal theory about something that applies to everyone. So, yeah, I suppose it's it's a there is there seems to be a lot of psychology behind moral relativism because uh you know, I imagine that we are conditioned into believing a lot of things by the sociocultural forces on us. Uh, I live in in a city, Melbourne, and lots of people are progressive. And, you know, it's not really a surprise that I'm also, that I would describe my politics as progressive, whatever that means. And, yeah, so, like, I, but at the same time, I'm not a moral relativist. I don't believe that I that the things I believe are only true because I believe them or the things that I believe are only given worth because I have had certain experiences and that has led me to believe whatever it is that I believe. I think that the things, some of the things I believe should be believed by lots of people or many more people than currently believe in those things. So I was thinking the other day about what it means about what a utopia would look like and whether a utopia would be a place where everyone believes the same stuff and probably not that doesn't sound like that doesn't sound like a great place uh, i guess it's important to have diversity in belief and diversity in thought and uh, have people express different things they're passionate about and different things they want to protect and different things they want to establish. Um, But I suppose the issue that I keep running into is it's kind of, it's nicely put by this American uh, pragmatist, a political philosopher called John Rawls. And John Rawls had this idea that if we were to construct the ideal society we would have to do so from behind the veil of ignorance. And I suppose what that means is when you're deciding... So it's a thought experiment and it goes something like this. When you're... Before you're born, before you're alive, before you've been conceived, you are given an insight into... Or you are given the power to kind of mold the society, the kind of society that you want to live in without knowledge of who you're going to be, what class you're going to be born into or your parents are going to be part of, uh, what color skin you're going to have, uh, what your gender is going to be, uh, what language you're going to speak, which country you're going to be born in. So you're not going to have control over any of these things. And so you should, presumably, what you're going to want to do is develop a society or create a society where these things don't have a significant bearing on your capacity to be, to exist in these societies. And this just isn't true for any society on earth at the moment. Um, It doesn't seem like, or any society that I'm familiar with, it seems like there are, that all of these things do matter. There are hierarchies. There are... uh, race-based hierarchies, there are class-based hierarchies, there are gender-based hierarchies. And I don't think these things (laughs) are disputed. Uh, And I suppose 
this is where I ask, this is where I draw issue with moral relativism because the moral relativist doesn't want to say that these things are bad, that this kind of segregation and this kind of inequality is problematic in itself and that it's only problematic because I believe it is problematic. But I don't know, maybe maybe I've given moral relativism a bad rap. Maybe I'm not defining it in... Maybe I haven't given it a fair, a fair definition or a definition that's... Uh, maybe I've set it up to fail, a straw man uh, argument. Uh, but I don't think so. I don't think so, because in itself, moral relativism is a claim about morality not being something that is universal and not being the opposite of relative. So being fixed and solid and protracted and alive and kind of thriving and influencing everyone. Um, So I guess when I, when I envision, so going back to this veil of ignorance that I was talking about, if I didn't know anything about the kind of person, the kind of family I was born into, whatever, all of these circumstances, there would be things that I think should be put in place. And I don't, I really don't think that anyone would argue against that. I don't, I, I don't know. I don't know of anyone. Maybe there are some antinatalists, some people who believe that, you know, we shouldn't keep bringing people into the earth. But apart from that, I don't know of anyone who doesn't place a value on human life, uh, on their own life. Um, and I suppose this is where mental health uh, becomes a topical thing because I'm someone who suffers from depression. And, you know, there are times where, uh, you know, depression is quite serious and um, people can have uh, particular thoughts about what it means to be alive and what it means. And so I'm, I'm not discounting um, that part of, of people's existence because I am very aware of it and it's something that's very close to me. Um, but I suppose mental health aside, uh, if that's possible, uh, I don't, I don't believe that I have heard, I don't think I've, I don't know anyone who believes that there isn't a value on life, um, and that they are so fed up with, or they are so upset with their existence that they wish that no one else could exist. Uh, I have never, I have never felt that way. And, you know, perhaps that is just a result of the society I was born into that values kind of individualism and a lot of the time myself and others around me are very anxious about our own existence and our own productivity and these things. And so it's, you know, there actually isn't that much time that goes into thinking about, it doesn't seem like there's that much time that goes into thinking about what it means to be a member of a species with eight, nearly eight billion others. Um, yeah. So I think, you know, in, at the most basic level, there is something valuable about human life. 
And I think that's an exceptionally hard claim to dispute. Um, Maybe some of the existentialists will say there is so much suffering. Maybe some utilitarians will say there is so much suffering in human life that it is best that it doesn't happen. But I, I don't think so. I, um, and, you know, this is where, again, we, we come back to moral relativism. I, this is why it's such, this is why, I'm not sure if you can tell, but I'm having a hard time putting this aside because on one hand I'm saying that it is very difficult or that I haven't I haven't come across anyone or any arguments that have convinced me that there isn't intrinsic value in being alive and so I guess that just shows that I'm not a moral relativist because I value things that allow people to live a life in a particular way such as freedom and freedom from other things um, freedom from, you know, duress, freedom from uh, inequality, all these things. But where do I get this from? And where do other people like me get these things from? Are they from our own configured morality? Or are they from, you know, some kind of deontological structure which assumes that there is some value to things like i don't know kant the philosopher kant had these maxims called the categorical imperatives which were kind of orders for being that told us to behave in a particular way because they maximized freedom and kind of interpersonal cooperation and cohesion and this kind of stuff but, okay, so I guess as I was walk, I went on a walk today and I was trying to think about things that would be very, very difficult. I was trying to think about situations where people would find it very, very difficult not to act in a particular way. And one of those situations I thought, one of, one of the situations that came to mind was... Um, Another thought experiment in philosophy where people, where you're walking, you're walking through a nice park and you look to your left and there's a beautiful lake and you really like lakes and, you know, oh, wow, what a beautiful life it is. You know, the water is shining. There's the trees are being reflected. Everything's great. Everyone around you is really beautiful and, you know, whatever. Everyone in your family is really happy. And then you notice in the lake, that there is a drowning child and you can easily save the child without a severe impact on your well-being. Uh, let's say that it's in uh, ankle deep water and, you know, it's nearly, it's going to be extremely difficult for you to drown in this kind of water. Um, I, I don't, I don't know why anyone wouldn't save this drowning child. Uh, I suppose it's intentional. It's intentionally chosen. Like a child is intentionally chosen because, you know, they are, in terms of humans, they are at the apex of vulnerability and fragility and they need care and supervision. And it almost seems like there is an instinct, a human instinct to protect those 
who are okay so this is this is actually quite a, a contentious claim i was going to say there is i feel a human instinct to protect those who are most vulnerable but you know something i've done i've spoken a lot about on this podcast is the topic of charity and a lot of the work charities do is to try and alleviate suffering of alleviate the suffering of the most vulnerable um and i guess the question i ask myself is why don't i direct a lot of a lot more of my time and energy towards you know generating money to give to charities to alleviate suffering and Okay, so I'm going to bring all this back to moral relativism. Just hold on. Let me think. So I was talking about the drowning child. And I suppose the example of the drowning child is supposed to illustrate or it's supposed to make it clear that there is some kind of tug that in modern Australia, in modern Melbourne, feels the tug is towards saving the life of the drowning child. If you're a listener, if you're listening to this and you don't feel that tug, please get in contact with me um, with your reasons. And I wasn't going to make a joke about, you know, please go see a therapist. Um, Although Peter Singer, you know, one of Australia's, one of the world's most famous philosophers actually told me to go and see a therapist, not because I had uh, any views about drowning children, but because I told him I was anxious and, (laughs) uh, well, um, yeah, I'd, I'd be really interested in hearing why why you wouldn't do that. So, and even if you would, if you would do that, if you would save the child, let me know what your reasons are because I'm interested. Uh, do you think that in terms of, do you think that it even, see, and this is another strange thing about philosophy, another strange thing about the topic of moral relativism. Does it even get to the point where it becomes a moral question? If you're in that situation, are you going to think, I'm going to save this child because it's the right thing to do? I I doubt, I doubt many people would think that. I doubt many people would actually have that thought. There would just be, you know, it's almost as if we're so, that the drive to save a drowning child would be so powerful and so consuming that, you know, it would almost be an inefficient way of using our faculties to think to ask ourselves whether this is the best thing to do Um, and so there's an issue there there's a tension in the thought experiment because yeah i suppose i don't think that people you know in the kind of fight or flight situation where you're really put under pressure and you have to act you probably don't have time to think you know, to do some kind of meta-analysis of your behavior and analyze your reasons for acting. I don't imagine that would happen. Uh, and what does that say about morality? Um, does that suggest that morality is something that comes when we have, or a questioning of morality is something that comes when we have a kind of freedom from flight or fi- flight or fight, fight or flight, situations where we have a freedom to kind of sit back and reflect on things and how we would act and how we would have acted is it a kind of retrospective thing is morality a kind of retrospective process or is it a kind of uh, envisioning kind of forwards forward looking thing where we kind of plan behavior 
And in terms, I one thing that I am very frust, one thing that I get frustrated with in my studies is the inability to make real life links between philosophy and my life, I suppose. Uh, and I guess with moral relativism, um, the question that I'm asking myself is a kind of political psychological one. And it, it is the question of why do some people believe in things that I find that I interpret to be unconscionable and unintelligible? And why do I feel so strongly about that? What has happened to me in order for me to believe X and what has happened for them in order for them to believe Y? And is there, is it true that there is no universal morality that I can appeal to? And I suppose I just, I just don't believe that there is no universal morality. I believe there is a kind of universal morality. As I was saying, the stuff about human life. Is there a value that we can place on human life, an intrinsic value in being alive? And yes, I think there is. Uh, otherwise, you know, why have so many people lived this far? Why, why do we get out of bed in the morning? Uh, why, even though it's difficult sometimes, why do we push through? Why do we help others? Why do we take care of those around us? Why do we do anything, right? Uh, presumably, it's because there is there is something that it means to be human, and that is something that propels us to go forwards. And I think that is, for me, that is enough to believe that there is an intrinsic value to being human because, or to being alive, because it doesn't end itself. We aren't driven to end our lives. That isn't, that isn't, uh, that doesn't, yeah, that, that, it, it's almost like the opposite. We are driven to help ourselves and those around us. And that, that seems to be the human way. Um, some people are better at it than others. Some people help on a wider scale than others. Some people don't. Um, and so that, that's why I reject a kind of universal relativism, that there is nothing, that it is arbitrary, that morality is arbitrary and authored by each individual themselves. So I guess what does that mean? Does that mean that I believe there is a kind of a, you know, a set of things that are universal? And I suppose it does. I guess it does. I believe that I believe that, uh, I guess I've said this in a number of my podcasts, but freedom, there is something about freedom and the freedom to be spontaneous and the freedom to pursue what we find meaningful and the freedom to be free from, you know, suffering and these things. I think that that is universally, I think that is a universal truth about being human. I think that is something that should be protected and afforded to everyone. And you can't have things like that with relativism. Uh, you can't. You can't accept that. You can't say that that is something that is universal. And I suppose I actually haven't given much thought to relativism because I've never taken it seriously. I've never taken the claim that there is no, that there is nothing, that, that morality is baseless 
and doesn't exist until the individual begins to think about what's important for them. Uh, and I suppose if you, you know, let, let's say you don't agree that freedom is a universal moral good or a something that is something that should be afforded to everyone. And you say, what is it that has led you to believe that? What, what is it that's led you to believe that freedom is something that should be afforded to everyone? And I suppose my response would be what I've found to be most meaningful in my life has come from an exploration of many different things. And what has allowed me to explore many different things is free is being free and being afforded freedom of choice, freedom of movement, uh, freedom of opinion, um, and freedom from a number of things, persecution, whatever. And then I guess, you know, you might ask, and what is the value in meaning in things being meaningful? Um, and this is where it gets murky. So I guess this is where the relativists, the moral relativists, you know, maybe they have a small victory because, you know, at this point, uh, I guess all I can say is if you don't think that what's, if you don't think that doing things that's meaningful is good, I think we're, I think I've lost you. And I'm not sure there's anything I can say to convince you otherwise. Uh, and this is another very confusing thing about the kind of, you know, as you get, as you try and go, you know, closer and closer to the first principles of things, if, if you strip away the layers and you get to these kind of questions, you know, what's meaningful? What does it mean for something to be meaningful? And what does it, how do we know that what's meaningful is actually valuable? I don't think these are unanswerable questions. I don't, sorry, I don't think these are answerable questions. And I don't actually think these are important questions because I guess I would appeal to the kind of extent to which the kind of universality of people wanting to do what's meaningful and the kind of rallying against what people don't find meaningful. Uh, like, I guess, you know, I'll just briefly conjure up a bullshit thought experiment, but, you know, would you prefer a life of doing something that you don't prefer, that you don't find meaningful, like a work of a job that you don't find meaningful, or would you prefer a lifetime of work that you do find meaningful? I don't know who, I don't know what kind of person would choose the life that they don't find, the life of work that they don't find meaningful. I don't know why. I don't know what it would take to choose that. There is no way. There is no way I would choose that. And I don't think anyone I know would choose that. But maybe I'm wrong. Maybe you are the person who would choose the life of of work with no meaning. And so I guess that tells me that meaning is something of value. And again, this goes against relativism. It's important for things to be meaningful. That's a universal truth. Human finds Humans find things to be meaningful and it's important for meaningful things to be pursued or to be able to be pursued by people. And so, yeah. So I guess that's probably all I want to say. I just kind of wanted to tickle the topic of relativism a bit and kind of open it up and get you thinking. And maybe I'll do another episode about it. If you have any thoughts about this, if you liked some things that I said, if you didn't like some things that I said, 
you know, get in contact with me. You can do so in so many different ways, Facebook, Instagram, email. My email is contact at alex.co. Um, yeah, that's, that's it. I hope you found this interesting. Thanks for listening. Bye.